Hey, before we get started with the sermon, we try to every Sunday uh, have something for the kids. And so um, this morning we have Moses again. So uh, you can take a look. Hello, kids. It's Moses again, and it's good to see you. I hope you're being safe, and I hope as you're with your family, everybody's doing good. Okay, I want to tell you another story, because Pastor John is going to preach about it this Sunday, and he, I wanted to tell you so that you don't have to listen to the sermon from Pastor John that he's giving to the adults. Anywho, I was taking the people of Egypt around the desert. Excuse me, I have to tell something. And so, everything's going great, and then all of a sudden, there's no water. Well, if you're in the desert, water is kind of a big deal. And so the people start complaining, Moses, why did you take us out here to die? And so they had cattle, they had livestock, they had their kids, the nannies, the tias, the tios, everybody's out there. And I tell them, what? I'm Moses, why don't you talk to God about it? He's the one doing all this. And so they don't, of course. And so I have to talk to God. And God says this. He says, see that rock? This is like this, this rock there. You take your staff. Oh, stuck in my hair. You take the staff and you touch the rock. You strike it and water will come out. Well, to be honest, that sounded a little far-fetched to me, but I thought, well, if God said it, okay. So I go out, I do it, water comes out. And everybody has water. Oh, they were so happy. So we leave, but I end up naming the place uh, basically quarreling and testing. Because they were testing God and they were quarreling. That's what I named the place. Okay, so. So, later, there's no water. Okay? And the whole thing starts up again. Moses, why did you take us out here to die? Okay, whatever. So I go to God again. Now here's where I messed up. God tells me, take your staff and speak to the rock. Don't strike it. Speak to the rock and water will come out. Very clear instructions from God. I come out. I don't speak to the rock. I speak to them. And I say, what are you doing? You guys are driving me crazy. And so, and then I strike the rock two times. Bam, bam. Water comes out. But God's not happy. I got the result I wanted, but I did it the wrong way. Now, as you're home with your family, the point of this story is, when you're at home with your family, there'll be some times that you want to strike out to get what you want. And you want to use whatever you have, whatever tools you have, your staff, your mouth, something. But the most important thing is to go to God and to ask Him, God, what would you have me do? What would you have me say? And He will tell you. And then do that. Don't do the thing you want to do just to get the result. So look, it's good to talk to you. I have to go, okay? See, what happened was, after I messed up, God didn't let me go into the promised land with the people. Talk about social distancing. Oh my gosh. Anyway, good to talk to you. Moses out. Whoa! It still works!
probably going to lose my job. Um, hey, we're glad you're here. Uh, thanks for showing up online. And uh, I also want <clears throat> to make just a few little announcements. Uh, you see me and you see Taylor, but uh, we have a team with Richard and Mark who do all of our sound and set all this up and get it on Facebook Live and all that kind of stuff. So we want to thank them as well. And there's churches all over the country that for us, we've been, we've been live streaming for quite some time, years, um, but uh, there's churches who are just getting up to speed, and so there's people behind the scenes in churches all over America and around the world that work really hard uh, to uh, make this happen. So uh, we're just thankful for that. Then a, a couple things real quick. Um, one is uh, we get a lot of, we get two questions that uh, come to me every week. Uh, one is, John, what about giving? Um, now we don't, at Living Spring, we don't pass a plate around. There's a box in the back. And if you give to God, you just drop whatever your tithes or offerings are into that box. Um, and so, um, so for those of you who are wondering, um, you can give online at livingspring.com and you go to give and there's a thing and you can set up whatever you want to set up. Uh, and you can also uh, send, send in, uh, mail your tithes and offerings here if you want. So I just wanted to get that out of the way because I get that question a lot. And then the other thing is, John, when are we going to start uh, real church again? And my answer to that is I have no idea. And what we're going to do is we're going to be responsible. And so we're going to look to our leaders to inform us. We're going to look to professionals to inform us. And what will happen most likely is there'll be a, a lifting of the ban that will allow for maybe 10 people to be together. And so in church, uh, there'll be 10 seats spaced apart. And they're a thousand dollars each. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, so there'll be ten. There'll be ten seats, and we'll figure out a way to make it fair. And then there'll be twenty, and then there'll be fifty. But um, I just want you to hear from me that um, I shepherd this church, and I use that term. Um, the weight of that responsibility, that I love the people that would be the sheep of Living Spring, and I would rather err on letting it go a little longer uh, than maybe if I make a mistake, I want it to be a mistake that uh, keeps everybody safe. So uh, I just wanted to get that going. Okay, so we are in a series called Relationships in Uncertain Times, and um, we're talking about... Uh, relationships and how they, um, especially during the COVID-19 where everything's turned upside down, this is a totally different thing than we ever expected and now we're all at home and we're trying to do relationships via Zoom and people don't know how to mute their mics and it gets frustrating and all these different things that are new for us and we're trying to, you know, probably, I don't know about you, but you've probably binge watched everything you could possibly binge watch and now you're just at home. So what I wanted to talk about this morning was something the Bible talks about all the time. And it's about our words. The Bible talks a lot about how we communicate. 
Uh, and so what I wanted to do this morning was talk to you about um, some things, some tools that we have uh, at our disposal that the Bible talks about. And then really most of the sermon is going to be a warning that as we're in these close confinements together and we're around the same people all the time, we can get really lax in how we communicate. And so I wanted to talk about that as well. So uh, a few years ago, um, I went with Lisa to uh, vacation. Lisa and I like to vacation with the family at places that have lots of nature. And uh, so we went to this place. It's Eagle Creek. It's in, uh, um, it's in uh, by Portland, Oregon. And it's beautiful. And the thing about this picture, like every beautiful place, when you take a picture of it, I mean, it's beautiful, but it just doesn't do it justice. It doesn't do justice of how beautiful uh, it is. So um, I can make it more beautiful, actually, by inserting um, my wife, Lisa, into the picture. And now, see, now it's even more beautiful. Well, I'm not too bad looking either. But, um, and so we, we were there and we hiked all day. Uh, here's a picture of Jesse um, uh, in, the, in the water. And um, just the places we would go were just so amazing. This picture doesn't do any justice, but this is like a cliff. And you, right here are some cables. Like you hold on to the cables because, um, well, you'd die if you fell off. And that's frowned upon there. Um, but, and I'm scared of heights. Like, I, like I'm scared of a lot of most things. And, uh, and so you could walk across, but you can't, you can't capture just how magnificent and gorgeous it is. This, this waterfall here uh, you know, dumps into this pool and we're across the gorge here and it's, it was just amazing how wonderful God's creation was to experience it. Um, well, two years ago, about two or three years ago, uh, some kids were hiking through the gorge and one of them lit a smoke bomb now, your first question is probably, why does the pastor have a smoke bomb? Well, hey, that's none of your business what's in my garage. Okay, so um, he lit a smoke bomb and he threw it over the ravine so that smoke would come out. And smoke did come out. And uh, one of a hiker, Liz, uh, her name is Liz, witnessed this and um, she didn't think too much of it, just kind of stupid kids and... Uh, kids like 15 years old and uh, well as she was hiking down there was more and more smoke and uh, in a very short amount of time um, this is what people were taking pictures of from this to that one of the more tragic pictures is this one 48,000 acres of beauty was destroyed with one lighting of a smoke bomb just because they wanted to see a little bit of smoke. What I want to relay to you this morning, and I hope I can do that in the scriptures, is that we have access to a lot of these in our lives with our words. So there's a book called The Female Brain that makes this um, idea that uh, 
that women speak 20,000 words a day and men speak 7,000 words a day. Actually, the science of it, uh, that's not entirely accurate. The uh, science of it is that we both, both men and women, speak about 16,000 words per day. 16,000 opportunities to set someone's life on fire. 16,000 opportunities to do damage to somebody. 16,000 opportunities to say the wrong thing, to be misunderstood. 16,000 opportunities to say something that a person latches onto that stays with them for the rest of their lives. It's an incredible, incredible responsibility. Our ability to communicate is unbelievably powerful. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you're like me, um, but one time I was in the seventh grade and uh, there were these, this group of guys, boys, uh, that didn't like my friend and they would, they would bully him. And um, one day our two groups met, right? You know, seventh grade. And, uh, and uh, it's the only fight I've ever been in. So what happened was, the, uh, my friend, he says, do you want to fight? And the, like, the head of their group is like, yeah. And then my friend goes, well, you should fight him, and points to me, right? And, and I'm like, uh-oh, because I didn't know how to fight. Uh, and so... So, but I can't, I don't want to be, um, you know, shamed. And so, I, I, I don't know how you start, a, like, I don't know who's supposed to punch first. So, I did what we did back in my day where you walk up and you, and you like, look down at the ground and then you, like, circle around and you're supposed to, like, like, it's supposed to escalate. And that's when he punched me in the face. So, I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that. And then he kept punching me, mostly around this area. Um, and so I was bloody and uh, humiliated. And I had blood all over my shirt. And I had a big fat lip and all that kind of stuff. That was nothing. I can joke about that now in the seventh grade. But I can remember a conversation in the seventh grade I had that has stayed with me my entire life. Because somebody lit one of these. All they were trying to do was smoke. All they were trying to do was have a little impact, have a show, get, get something out. But it, but it stuck with me. I have conversations I've had as a full-grown adult that I can go to and feel the same amount of feelings of insecurity and of why is this happening uh, because of words. So, uh, what I want to do is uh, keep this image in your mind uh, as you communicate with people. Uh, but I want to talk about uh, what Jesus says about these words and then what Jesus' half-brother says about words because it's very powerful. And as you go, you go into, into Monday, that you'll hopefully see this, your, your, the power of your speech in a way um, that is uh, uh, different and that you would protect people with your words. So what, what's happening is Jesus is a rabbi, okay? And so in Jesus's time, rabbis would have disciples. 
and they would be schools of thought. And so each rabbi would try to grab the top students and they'd walk around and they teach them theology and they teach them things about God. But the, the ultimate goal was that the rabbi has these, I guess we'll call them rabbits, um, but the, the disciples behind them and the disciples would try to become like the rabbi. And so rabbis would try to pick the top students. And then Jesus comes along and Jesus decides, ah, I'm not going to pick the top students. Like who, who sits in the back of the class? Those are the students I, I want. I, I'm going to choose the ones. So if you, if you follow sports at all, we just had the NFL draft. And what teams would do is they take their draft picks and they try to trade them to move up in the draft to get the one person they want. Jesus moves down in the draft. Jesus takes his number one draft picks and goes, I'm going to trade those for a sixth round draft pick. That's what he did. He picked Peter, who's, who's uh, a fisherman, right? He hangs around with uneducated people. And Jesus is like, oh man, that would be a perfect disciple for me, a fisherman. He picked Matthew, who essentially steals for a living. Okay, that's what Matthew did. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Matthew. And James and John, who are always competing and they're annoying, he picks those people. He picks Philip, who doesn't even believe in him uh, in the beginning. And he says, yeah, that's the kind of guy I want. So Jesus, his group comes up, kind of like my group did with the, with the bully. And then, um, and then this, other, these other, this other rabbi group shows up. And they ask him this question. They ask Jesus this question because what they would do in this culture was called challenge and repost. And so you would challenge the rabbi and then how well the rabbi did with his answer uh, would dictate who was the best rabbi. You know, it's kind of like UFC, but with theology. And so uh, they come up and they say, um, Rabbi, I, we notice that your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, this is really great now because it's coronavirus and it's like super fitting. Um, but uh, this wasn't just washing your hands for health reasons. This was washing your hands in the ceremonial washings. And the reason you would do that is because um, the, the, the Pharisees had added so many more rules and regulations to what it meant to follow God. And so they'd have these ceremonial hand washings because they didn't know if that food was touched by an unholy person. And so you wouldn't want to touch something unholy and put it in your mouth. And Jesus, they, they, they ask him the question, why? why why do your disciples do that? And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, says, and why do you dishonor the law by not honoring your father and mother, right? So he just, it was just like punching them in the face, like I was punched in the face. Pretty cool. But then Jesus goes on to do something um, that I think we can really learn from. Jesus says, he calls the crowd to him. So what he's about to say, so first, it's just the two gangs of rabbi, you know, the two rabbi clans clashing. And then Jesus, uh, uh, the disciples come to him and say, um, uh, the, he, Jesus wants everyone around them to understand what he's talking about. He says, Jesus called to them and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. And he makes this incredible statement. But what comes out of their mouth that's what defiles them. What comes out of their mouth? 
That is what defiles them. And so he, he goes on and he teaches some more and um, everybody leaves and Jesus wins the day as he always does. And the disciples come to him because he's rabbi and they want to understand what, what he's doing, why he's doing what he's doing. And they say, explain that to us. And Jesus, after just saying, hey, watch what you say, kind of puts them down a little bit, which I find hilarious. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, which is cold. That's cold, Jesus. But he does it anyway. And so um, he's kind of like a coach, you know. It's like a loving way of saying, come on, guys. You can figure this out. And he goes on, he says this, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? All right, that's physiology. I don't have time to get into what's the, what the process is there. But then he makes this incredible statement. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them. The words you speak come from here. You ever said, um, I didn't mean to say that? <laughs> you ever do that? I have. I didn't mean to say that. What you're really saying is, I didn't mean to reveal that part of my heart. I didn't mean to expose that portion of what my heart is. He goes on, these, these are the things that come out. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Listen, this is so practical, it's so practical. Your religion and kind of the rules and regulations that you follow um, are super important, and, and you should definitely follow those things. But Jesus is mostly concerned with what's going on in here. Following rules and regulations, important. Hear me, I'm not saying they're not. But the things that God is most interested in is what is going on inside. He's not saying, I'll go back up thing. He's not saying you're actually murdering. He's saying that in your heart, there's stuff you need to work through so that the words that come out of your mouth don't reflect murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And this isn't an all-inclusive list. Jesus is just saying, when you speak, you reveal. You reveal your heart. He says, these are what defile a person. Luke uh, is another narrative of, Jesus, of the gospel, well, another gospel of Jesus. And Luke puts it this way, and I love this, and you can memorize this. It's so easy. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks speaks. If your mouth speaks anger, this is going to be hard. You're an angry person. You need to deal with your heart. 
It's not that you're just saying angry things. It's not that you're saying, you know, if you're kind of a flirtatious person and you're in a committed relationship, you, that comes out of your heart. There's something that's going on there, some insecurity or something that you need to deal with. Your words display your heart out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. When in my life, when I say stuff, that I didn't mean to say, I can immediately look into my heart and go, I know why I said that. I was fearful. I was insecure. I was anxious. I was worried. I was what have you. So here's, here's my point for this morning. If you want to keep your mouth in check, check your heart. If you want to keep your mouth in check, if your mouth is constantly getting you into trouble, if your mouth is constantly destroying your relationships, if your mouth isn't speaking words of healing to people, you need to check your heart. Here's a perfect example. Um, I've raised three kids, uh, all of whom are adults now, and um, I would say things um, that sounded right, but really they were just revealing something in me. So I would talk about get, getting their homework done, right? And I'd, I'd be like, you got to get your homework done. You got to get. What was actually happening was I was scared that I wouldn't be able to pay for college. So they better get 4.0 grades so that they'd get a scholarship. It was fear. It was fear. Fear-based parenting. I'm going to write a book on it. It's going to have five volumes. It'll be wonderful. But, but those are the things. Or, or hey, are you going to, you know, if, if it's our son or something and his hair is all messed up or he didn't take a shower. And I'm like, hey, you know, you're going to school. It was really out of, Ben, that's a bad reflection on me as a parent. That's my heart talking. If I want to check, keep my mouth in check, I check my heart. And then Jesus, you know, earlier in Matthew, he makes this statement, which is horrible. He says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. I don't even know what that means. But I'll bet it also includes every careless tweet we've tweeted, every careless post that we've posted, every careless reply that we've clicked send on. God is dead serious about our words because he knows the damage they can do. And that little 15-year-old kid could have probably thrown 10 of those things over and nothing would have happened. It just happened that one lit something on fire. So we're talking about fire. We're going to switch over from Matthew to James. James was the half-brother of John. Uh, they had the same mom, different dads. One was our Heavenly Father. One was Joseph. And uh, so James writes this book that we've uh, entitled James. And because uh, we're super creative. And uh, James is basically... Uh, uh, I think he has ADD, but I'm not sure. Because when you read it, it's just very, like, it just goes all over the map. And I always have wanted to just rewrite James and like, oh, you were talking about words here and now you're talking about them here. Why don't we just bring those two together? But apparently you're not allowed to go shifting things in the Bible uh, to fit what you want. And so uh, we, we keep it there. But th that's James. If, you, if you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible, James is an awesome book to start 
uh, reading the Bible with because it's very, very practical. So he says this in James chapter 3, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. <laughs> right? So we go back to what Jesus said. Our words display our heart. So if you can control your words, then you're on the right track. So it's kind of a weird way to say it. Anyone who is never at fault, but whatever, um, and what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. If you can control your tongue, you can control anything is basically what James is saying. And isn't that true? It's true for me. It's difficult for me to control my tongue. Very hard. And he, he kind of gives a, 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 some different observations here. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. I don't know if you've ever ridden a horse. I've ridden a horse. And you can, you can basically grab the reins with one hand and just kind of go like this, and the horse will go wherever you want. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Then he goes on. And he gives this example. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. 48,000 acres were destroyed. 48,000 acres. You can't even, at least, well, maybe you can. I can't even wrap my mind up around that. Hikers were, were, were trapped. Uh, they had, um, there was like 400 structures that were threatened by just this. We have access to 16,000 of these a day. Consider what a great forest is set on fire. And then he says this. I love James. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It corrupts the whole body. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Have you ever said anything you regretted and it destroyed a relationship I have myself? And is itself set on fire by hell. What? It's interesting. When we think of hell and we think of kind of the spiritual realm, we, we, we think of, um, you know, maybe Satan. And, and if you're, uh, you know, maybe for you, you're, you, you like the Bible and you kind of like being a church and all that kind of stuff. But the whole thing about, you, you, you just kind of got to believe in God. And so now all of a sudden you talk, you talk about Satan, like that's far-fetched for you. Totally get it. Um, I, I personally believe in, in Satan, um, um, but that's just me. But here's the interesting thing about Satan. If, if Satan wants to do damage, right, you'd think he'd use kind of the spiritual forces at his disposal, like demons, you know? It just like, like let the demons loose, okay? And I believe in demons too, so whatever. But you know what Satan used the most, uses the most? Words. 
He uses words. If, if uh, the creation narrative, when Adam and Eve are there, he doesn't go and scare Eve with demons. He doesn't do any of that. He starts talking to her and says, uh, hey, what's, up with the, what's up with that fruit? And he starts talking to her. As a matter of fact, um, Jesus says this, when Satan talks, he speaks lies. That's what he uses to get the job done. He uses lies. And as a matter of fact, Jesus says this, when, when Satan speaks lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's his first language, is to lie and to accuse. Because words are powerful. And oftentimes, they're set on fire by hell. Because we want to get our way. Or we're scared, we're frightened, we're, 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 um, we're insecure. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, except for my dog. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He goes on and he talks about the hypocrisy that I have in my own life and we all have in our own life. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. <laughs> and with it, we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Powerful, powerful. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. If you want to check your mouth, you need to check your heart. I need to do the same thing. Our words have so much power. I'll bet, well, I know a lot of your stories. I'll bet you can go back and you can remember a teacher, maybe a parent that called you fat, called you clumsy, said you don't learn very well, and you have just held that burden on your shoulders your entire life. I'll bet your value a lot of your value comes from people who have said the wrong thing to you. And I'm here to tell you that you have a heavenly father that would say, those are lies. That's not where your value comes from. Those were just people who out of the same mouth came praise and cursing. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you how to cut your sin in your life down by 47.34% today, right? This is not a, this is, you won't get this anywhere else. I, I, this is scientific. 47, what did I say, 0.34? Yeah, 0.34% of what we can do. How do I, John, I've got 16,000 of these a day. I don't want to set my son's life on fire. What do I do? I don't want to ruin my relationships. What do I do? It's so practical. It's found in the book, uh, in, in Psalms. It's a, a song, basically a line of a song, okay, or a poem. Here's what the author says. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. I don't know if you've ever been to some place that has a guard there, but the guard stops people who shouldn't come in from coming in and stops people who shouldn't be going out 
going out. If you've ever been to uh, a jail or a prison, there's a guard there to make sure that what isn't supposed to come out doesn't come out. Basically, the psalmist is saying this, God, I've got 16,000 of these stirring around in here and my heart isn't really that good. Put something here that would stop a forest fire from coming out. And so essentially, as you're communicating this week, as you communicate even after this sermon or whenever you're watching it, uh, you, you, you would be in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden your insecurity or your fear or whatever has happened begins to overflow and you say, God, should I say that? And the guard says, hark, who goes there? Or whatever guards say. I don't think they really say that. But let's just say they do. And you say, oh, you check your heart. Oh, oh, it's fear. Oh, no, don't just put that back. Let's deal with the fear at another time. But you're not allowed to talk right now. Because what's coming out is an overflow of your heart. And what's, it's, a, it's a deficiency, Okay. Then maybe you're in a conversation and you're like, you're just about to speak words of encouragement. And they say, hark, who goes there? And you're like, oh, this is, these are words of encouragement. Okay. Now you can go ahead and speak it. Set a guard over my mouth. I don't think there's been a time in my life where I regretted not saying something. Maybe injustice issues where somebody told a joke that was demeaning to a certain people group and I didn't speak up. That, that's, I've had that happen before where I didn't, I didn't speak up and defend or whatever. And that, but it's so rare. If you take that and you take all the times I squeezed the toothpaste tube and went, Ah, oh, all the times I clicked send, all the times I, and you know, with me, it's sarcasm is like one of my love languages and, um, or spiritual gifts, and it just fell wrong. There's way more of that. Well, Psalm also has another one as Taylor comes back up. It's another part of a psalm. This is so powerful. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You know what it is? It's words. Words. They're just words, and yet they're so powerful. I'll bet the same people I talked to before where you could remember somebody saying something to you that gave you an identity. You can also remember a teacher, a parent, a friend who used words as a honeycomb. And it was just healing to you and your bones. That is the power you have every day. 16,000 of them. Because a fire that's contained in the right place at the right time, is life-giving. And you have that ability. I'm going to pray for us, and um, then Taylor's going to lead us in one final song. The words that might need to come out of your mouth in the coming days might be, I'm sorry for what I said. And you might want to really own it and say, you know what? I'm sorry I said that, 
because I was afraid. I, 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 I'm sorry I said that. I, 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 don't, I don't feel comfortable in our relationship and I didn't know what else to say. I'm sorry I said that. I was trying to be funny because I, I had no other words and I, I just, I, I, I shouldn't. Maybe the words that come out of your mouth in the coming days are, you know what I realized? I haven't told you lately that I really love you, that I'm really proud of you, that I'm amazed at who you've become. I'm amazed at how much you've grown. You're an encouragement to me. Maybe those are your words. Maybe in the coming days, your words are no words at all. And you just deal with what's going on in here. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you've given us a powerful tool in our, in our mouths. This tongue that can set things on fire. That can be a disruption. Lord, I pray that we would have um, self-control. To set a guard over our mouth to keep watch over the door of our lips. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Taylor's going to lead us in a final song and then um, I'll come back and give us the blessing and I'll also read the letter of apology that that 15-year-old boy wrote. It's very, very telling. So they found out who the youth was who lit the place on fire. And, uh, you know, as you can imagine, he's 15 years old, right? So, you know, what he can't possibly pay back. Uh, there's no way he can make restitution. But he wrote this apology letter, and I just find it, really fascinating in light of our words. And when we just speak out things and we don't realize the potential damage we can do. I want to express how sorry I am for what I did. I know a lot of people suffered because of a bad decision that I made. I'm sorry to the first responders who risked their lives to put out the fires. I'm sorry to the that were trapped. I'm sorry to the people who worried about their safety in their homes that day and for weeks afterwards. I'm truly sorry about the loss of nature that occurred because of my careless action. Every day I think about this terrible decision and its awful consequences. Every time I hear people talk about the fire for uh, three months, every time I hear people talk about the fire, I put myself down. I know I will have to live with my bad decision for the rest of my life, but I've learned from this experience and will work hard to help rebuild the community. I can realize how important it is to think before acting because my actions can have serious consequences. I myself love spending time in nature and I now realize how much work it takes to maintain the natural, national forest so people can enjoy it. I sincerely apologize to everyone this fire. I cannot imagine how scary it is. Uh, it must have been for you. 
I know I have to earn your forgiveness and will work hard to do so. And one day, I hope I will. Thank you for giving me a chance to speak. This has been a big learning experience for me and I take it very seriously. I apologize with all my heart to everyone in the gorge. We have this same opportunity to bring blessings, to bring damage. So my prayer for us this week is that we would bring blessings. So now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go in his peace, in his joy, in his love, in his strength, and in his wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we will see you next week.